and welcome to Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven. I'm your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect. I practice in eastern Massachusetts, and my specialty is renovations and additions to existing homes. I started this podcast as a resource for homeowners who are thinking of undergoing the home renovation process and would like to learn as much as they can before they start. So today I am talking about sustainable construction, high performance construction with Anthony and Abby Mashmet, who are the principals of Dwell Development in Seattle. So Dwell Development is an award-winning sustainable residential builder. And they say that they strive to create the most energy efficient homes in the world. And they believe that sustainable, efficient design can create a better tomorrow. So we had a conversation about how high performance and sustainability could apply to renovations as well as new construction. Let's just jump right into the conversation. First of all, there's the question of how, how do you do a sustainable renovation if you're adding on to a house and you have an existing house and you're not necessarily gutting the existing house, then, then how do we kind of marry these systems together? So that's one thing that I'm interested in. But I have had, I, I'm trying to figure out how to approach people on this because I have previously said, are you interested in any sustainable, um, any sustainability at all? And they say, yeah, no, not really. I'm like, okay, I should have put that differently somehow. Like, well, I which think it needs to be rebranded is kind of what you're saying, because yeah. I think the idea is that it's too ambitious or too expensive. And right. thus people immediately, their knee jerk is to say, no, that's not possible. When really you can do pretty small things that will have a greater impact on, on sustainability and your home for years to come. Right. And, and the bottom line, your electricity bills, and I don't know what they're like in Massachusetts. Here, high. yeah, I'm, I'm presuming they're high. So right. anything that you can do, if you're looking down the road of years to come, it, it will be better for the environment and for your pocketbook. Right. Yeah. It'll save people money. Yeah. I feel like people are tired of hearing about saving the earth. And I don't know if they can care about saving the earth, but I feel like if we reframed it into saving human life on the earth, because the earth will be here after we can't live here anymore. I mean, that sounds kind of extreme, but I feel like maybe people would, if we had different terminology for that, people wouldn't block it out, which I feel like people are just kind of blocking it out now. Well, I think everybody, if you ask, if you sit down and, and talk, because we only know one way to build homes and that's, we build the most high performance, sustainable, energy efficient homes in, in the world. And we get recognized for it. And, and when we can actually take that message, when you sit down and talk to a buyer, for example, um, and that, that's one form of our new homes or one of these homes that we renovated and you have an open dialogue with them, everybody cares about sustainability and everybody wants to do their part. And, Housing and renovations are the largest contributor contributor to CO2 off-gassing in the ozone layer of any industry in the world. So little bits and pieces, if everybody can do their small part and make better choices about how they put a home together from a renovation standpoint or a new construction, or just making small choices, like Abby said, you know, we, we, I, I'm part of the Bill Green uh, committee here in the city of Seattle, and I get asked this question all the time, and there's like five real simple things that people can do in their homes that aren't like fully renovated, but you can make a huge impact on, on your energy bills and sustainability just by doing little little things that we can touch on as well. So yeah. I think everybody cares about it. People just don't understand the little things they can do that, that make a big difference. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. great. I'm glad that they do care. Seattle, I might care 
I don't know. Maybe it's just the people I run into over here. Yeah, maybe. Well, and it's different. Your homes are all older. I mean, it's humbling to t- talk to somebody from the Massachusetts area because I know being that, that I was born in New England, I know that the homes are much older. We don't have as much old construction and historic construction as you do. Yeah. And a, a home here that's 1905 is very old. Mm. And of course, my grandparents were in Jamestown, New York, in Jamestown, Rhode Island, and the eight the homes built around 1900 weren't that old in Jamestown. Right. Right. That's true. So, so it's all kind of relative. That. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's relative. Yeah. I went to graduate school in Los Angeles. And so it was totally different mindset about historic, what's historic out there yeah. versus here. So, I mean, here I don't like 99% of my work is just work to regular old houses built in the 1920s, 1940s. You know, it's just yeah. old, a lot of old housing stock here. It's just what people live in. So, yeah. so uh, I, I would love to hear about those five elements that you just brought up that are easily achieved versus for, what are, oh, what are you calling yeah, it? Yeah, for, for sustainability. Well, well the, the first thing that people can do is, is, is um, change out windows, old windows in a house. You know, replacing windows is a huge source of, of heat loss and energy loss in homes, especially in older homes. So bringing in efficient double, we only use triple pane windows, but even going to a double pane window makes a huge difference in, in the homes. So that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that a lot, of, a lot of homes built in that area don't have insulation or a lot of the insulation has fallen down inside the wall cavity down yeah. at the bottom. So when you have leaky windows with leaky walls, you know, your furnace kicks on, your boiler kicks on, it's trying to keep up and it's just leaking out of the house. So the most efficient thing you can do is really attack those two things in an existing home is get, you know, you can, there's ways you can put a little hole in the exterior and blow in insulation in the wall cavity pretty easily, you know, uh, in any home. So windows and insulation are, the, are, are two things that to deal with the thermal envelope of the home, which is crucial. Um, then on the inside, you know, changing all your light bulbs to LED light bulbs in the house. That's simple. LED light bulbs, you can get all kinds of historical looking ones that look like they're you know, Edison balls. Edison I mean, we, we only use LED in, and we, of course, I, I bought many fixtures that were old fixtures that had been restored. And then I replaced all the bulbs with LED. So yeah, that's a very simple, very cost effective way. Yeah. Incandescent light bulbs should be illegal. I mean, they're illegal in, in a lot of countries. They're facing the world. them out. So yeah. well, I thought they support. were. I thought they were illegal, and then I thought, then I heard that they weren't, and then I heard that they're definitely not going to be. And now there was um, a lot of pushback on making them illegal. There were a, a few years ago they were talking about just getting rid of them altogether, and then people right. started hoarding bulbs. You would hear yeah. about crazy people buying up all the incandescent bulbs <laughs> to save them, and and now I think that there's been enough pushback that they're not illegal. But it's hmm. a pretty simple, cost-effective measure. If windows are too much, too expensive. Insulation, oh, that's too way too much. I can't do that. And then you roll in the plumbing fixtures. Yeah. In we only use the Niagara toilets that are a 0.8 gallon flush. They're not a dual flush. It's a hmm. single flush. Those toilets are, I think, 400 bucks out the door. Niagara. Yeah, I think they're no. with the trim and the toilet seat and the whole nine yards. Less I think we're that. like 350. Huh. I never heard of Niagara. Is that the name of the company? Niagara? Yeah. The name of the country. Okay. Yeah. The average toilet, just so you know, of all existing toilets out there, especially on the East Coast, a lot of them are 3.5 gallons of flush. 
Mm. New toilets that come out now, you have to be below two gallons of flush. And you have the two buttons is one for which, which button you push and people get kind of confused and, and all that. So this is just one button, 0.8 gallons of flush. And it saves the average home. If you have three toilets in your house, it saves five to 6,000 gallons of water a year just by switching out these toilets. And then what Abby said is the, uh, the WaterSense uh, um, uh, certified fixtures. All the, all the fixtures now, uh, California standards, are, are you know 30% water reduction, 20% water reduction just by picking new new fixtures that aren't flushing all that water down the drain. And yeah. one could do that over time. If you're a homeowner and you're like, oh boy, I can't take on changing out all my plumbing, you can go room by room and sort of say, okay, every six months I'm going to change out a, a fixture mm. and thus get to, you know, you can have be planning on that's that's your goal. Yeah. And, and that's what we did with our renovations. And they're all you know, at this point in time, you can get some beautiful fixtures that really can look historical. They can look like they go with the home. They don't have to be modern looking fixtures. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Can I say something about the dual flush toilets? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I do not find those confusing. So I'm just going to clear this up for anybody listening. So there's two buttons and there's one that's bigger and one that's smaller. So that I think if you don't need that much water, just press the smaller one. And if you need more water, press the larger one. Yeah. And so I that's would agree. The in theory, yeah. that's it, but a lot of people don't know that. And they'll push them both and they'll yeah. push the one for the end. They get confused. So regardless, it's unfortunately the, the user experience on those is confusing. That's why we yeah. like just one button. You know, no, just, I get it. So yeah. I was just like, for just a PSA for, for, yeah. for dual flush toilets. It's <laughs> sure. also, if you live in the house, you should be able to learn after a while, which how to flush the toilet. And sure. Yeah. You might have guests over who get confused, but yeah. Maybe a little tour ahead of time. Anyway, I have um, dual flush toilets and, you know, I, I love, I love that there's not, I go to my parents' house. They used to have an old farmhouse from the 1830s and they had these, I swear there are seven gallon flush toilets. It was like, yeah. how much water could you possibly waste? You just get, you don't need that much water. So anyway. Well, the Niagara toilets are a patented vacuum technology. Hmm. They're amazing. They, they, we, since we've been using them, they've in the Seattle area, they've grown their business because they're such a great toilet above and beyond the fact that they're, it's a 0.8 gallon flush. It's also a really good toilet. And we yep. have limited with our homeowners. We have not had a lot of warranty calls with regard never, to their never. toilets. Yeah. Never one. Well, cool. But that, those four things are the things that kind of like get, get you get you a place. You got lighting, you got okay. conserving water, and and just last on the water before I move to the fifth thing is is that people don't understand that when you flush the water, water goes down the drain. Obviously, you're paying for all that water coming in, but that's also your paint. That's your sewer bill going out. And people don't get it. They just don't care and they let the water run and everything. And that's why people's sewer bills are so high because they calculate sewer based off of water in, water out. So, you know, it's a double win when you when you conserve water. You're not paying for it in you're not paying for it going out. And that is a huge, huge money saver for a lot of people. And the last thing I would say is, you know, it related to the first two items, insulation of windows. Once you get your home that's less drafty, less leaky, you know, as best you can, because insulation is also going to help air seal those cavities up a little bit, is now you can look at re reducing the size of your mechanical loads in the house. So maybe that's a good time to get that big old, you know, boiler out of there or that, you know, the big electric furnace out of there. And you can go to heat pumps, you know, uh, you know, ductless heat pumps and ducted heat pumps, really energy efficient. And they have the option of adding cooling 
to the home as well. So, you know, the East Coast, you have those hot, humid summers and you, all of a sudden you can, go to, you can go to cool mode on these things and you can put up to five heads on, on one heat pump that you can go, out, go outside and they're easy to install. They're great for renovations. They're and they're easy. fairly affordable. Yeah. And they, so, they use worldwide. I mean, they use worldwide. So going to a heat pump uh, heating system that also does cooling and then heat pump water heaters as well. You know, super high efficient heat pump water heater is about 300% more efficient than a standard electric water heater. And so when that water heater goes out, you can get a really nice upgraded water heater that's more efficient and saving you a ton of money on not wasting all that electricity. So those mechanical loads go way down when you, when you make that thermal envelope of the home more consistent. Yeah, then, so just so in case people don't know what a heat pump is, those are the through the wall units that you might see. So- that mount on the wall. Yeah. yeah. So th- those are ductless heat pumps and they're individual units that have a refer- refrigeration line that goes to a heat pump that's outside. Yep. Right. So, um, so, and those can be mounted anywhere and they're great for renovations and retrofits because they're simple to run and they're easy to get to and repair. And we hear people say, Oh, I don't like the way they look. Well, you can put them somewhere that it's not as visible and people can do cool little, you know, grills around them and build them into things. But really, you know, they're more and more acceptable right now because they're so, they make the house so comfortable and balanced. That's very true. And it, yeah. uh, most of the old houses around here, unless they've been renovated, do not have air conditioning. And um, I'm yeah. holding out because I feel like if everybody got air conditioning, it would increase the problem that we need more air conditioning. But it's pretty hot. It's getting pretty hot. So yeah. I'm thinking yeah. about a heat and, pump. And these, and, and these heat pump, uh, um, uh, these deckless mini splits are really, really efficient. I mean, they're super efficient. So it solves that question that if everyone gets air conditioning, this isn't air conditioning. This is just a, a unit that can do heating and cooling. Yeah, true, so true, you, get, you get two for one and the energy consumption is a fraction of what a, a typical uh, air conditioner is. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about these uh, renovations that you did. They were for really cool. One, one of them was a really cool Sears kit house I saw, which I love those. You don't hear about a lot over here, but on the West Coast, when I was in school over there, we heard maybe these are still more around. I don't know where they were more popular. Oh, there's there, tons but- of. They, we found in our research that there were hundreds of Sears and Roebuck catalog homes. There were a few other catalogs, but that was the biggest seller of it because during the Western expansion, they blew up in Seattle and mm. they were all over the place. Generally, American Foursquare was seemed to be the design of choice in mm. a lot of our neighborhoods, and I having probably being born in Boston and then come migrating West. I am a a big, big lover of old homes. I like Victorians and there's not, there's only a smattering of them in Seattle. So we decided we had a little bit of a a lull in our schedule with our new construction. A a big lull, a big lull in our construction schedule. (laughs) And we love challenges and we decided we were going to take on a renovation and that exploded into two more so we did three all within a year mm-hmm. and they were all within an, uh, about a mile and a half of each other so it was easy geographically to get around to all of them and it was they were all different one was a victorian one was a four square well two were four squares yeah. two were four squares and one was a victorian and the the victorian was 1896 which is really really old for seattle there aren't a lot of homes pre-1900 in seattle so that was exciting. It had a turret. It had all of the, you know, the, the elements of a Victorian that make them so special, the bric-a-brac. And, and they were all in different levels of disrepair. And we applied the same thing. We decided to use our same 
the, the basis of our business, the foundations of our business are the sustainability piece. And we knew that in practice, we could do it in old homes as well. And on a budget because we're spec builders. So we don't have a client. We're not working for somebody else. We have to put it on the market and actually we're a for-profit company. So it was not only a learning period. It was also like, hey, can we make this work as a business model? And it was, um, they were all challenging. They were all really exciting. And I spent lots of time in them just sort of reimagining what it, what they used to be used for and what the spaces used to be used for, because how somebody may have lived in 1896, how they built their home, what they needed and how we live now. So we trying to update the homes in terms of their systems, but also update them in terms of use because you're all of a sudden in a home and you use it differently than you did before. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, but not to not to lose the character. So when you when you when you walk up to the grand steps and you see the the turrets and the bric-a-brac and the moldings, all that stuff is beautiful. And we want to preserve all that. Mm-hmm. What what's happening behind those walls? To make sure that there's insulation. You got update wiring. You got up, updated plumbing systems and heating systems in those homes. All those things that you don't necessarily see, but that makes the home really really comfortable. Those add to 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 me that. that the efficiency and the beauty of the home, right? So visually, Abby is fantastic about making the home look historic, but still have the, the, those new creature comforts, the, the nice cabinets, you know, the newer windows that operate in them. You know, we'd like to keep some of the windows and replace the ones that are, are more disrepair. So we kind of picked and cho- chose where we do certain things and, and really put this thing back together. Like Abby said, we need to market it for today's home buyer. You know, they want to have a, a nice master suite in the, in the, you know, one of the houses that, that you referred to had a, had a hallway bath that was shared by three bedrooms. It's very common, you mm-hmm. know, the Foursquare, uh, the, the Sears rollback house. So how can we make this bathroom bigger? How can we make it feel like a master bathroom, but also knowing that it's going to be shared by the two other bedrooms. So we, we made a big double shower in it. We did a big double vanity in it. And we used the space as best we could to give that current home buyer the feeling like I, I have this big, nice bathroom, but I, I don't have that master suite bathroom anymore, but I'm going to share this with my kids. So there's little things that we had to like choose. How can we do this without breaking the bank as well? Right. Yeah. There's- we saved all of the, in every home, we saved all of the flooring because we thought, you know, the flooring was important to the, the ha- maintaining the house and continuing the legacy of the house and not completely stripping it away and throwing in brand new flooring. Yeah. So the, we, we really tried to, as much as we could save what was there, what was, what was relevant, relevant to the house and, and what the original architect had, you know, you, you want to pay homage to that architect and see how they had had their vision of the house. So mm. we continued, you know, it was, it was amazing to me, the iterations of the houses because they were old and many of them had had multiple iterations. They'd been used as a boarding house at one point because during the war people were living in it. And so yeah, yeah. that's speakeasy. Yeah. yeah. We were told by one of the homeowners that, that, oh yeah, the, there was a speakeasy when alcohol was prohibited in the central area of Seattle. The sale wow. of that's why I think I love houses because of the the lives that have been lived through the houses. And I know that you had mentioned that you, uh, the article I read about the renovation, you talked about imagining how people lived in these houses and what they were like, what they, the actual people, what they were doing in there. I don't know. It, like, yeah. To me, that's, I don't know, it has an energy to a house. It has sort of a spirit or energy. I think that, um, well, the grandest of the three homes that we did the last one had a room 
where you would have somebody come, like perhaps a salesperson would come calling and you wouldn't want them in the rest of your house. It was a formal entry area where you'd, mm. you'd sit or perhaps somebody taking somebody on a date, you'd have them sit and wait. Like and a, waiting I, area, yeah. a waiting area. And I yeah. was always, I just kept closing my eyes and walking around and thinking, wow, this was somebody actually designed a home. And now we're so, you know, space is never, we never have that much space that you think about an area where you just have, where somebody would wait a waiting area. <laughs> I love that. I love that idea. idea. I love that idea. Cause there might be people coming to your house that you don't want in the rest, like your the heart of your house, but yeah. especially too now with the whole pandemic, you think about visitors in a different way, maybe. So you could have a little area where visitors are allowed. I mean, I guess that was more like the formal living room back in the day, right. That we don't use it in the same way anymore, but I mean, yeah. do we really want everybody in our houses in the same way? No, no. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because now new construction, everybody wants, you know, the, you know, the grand room, the big open, open concept. They want everything to kind of feel the kitchen is right connected. It's all one big room, the dining room and the living room, all one big space. And, and all these houses have those formal, that's what, that's what's neat about these older houses. They all have their little formal elements. You have, here is the living room and it's its own room with a door on a pocket door or whatever. Here is the, here's like a social area off the kitchen where you would sit by the fireplace and, and talk separate area. Here's the formal dining room, you know, and you have this, you know, you have these places that can be shut off from each other, but then they also flow, you know, and mm. that's what a lot of new construction you know, unfortunately you get now, you get big open concept, which is what people want. Well, we had to find the balance between the two. So right, we did have walls because we acknowledge the fact that buyers, the current home buyer does want spaces that are multi-use. So we had to re-envision those spaces as multi-use. And in the first home we did the Sears Roebuck, it had some constrained spaces that we knew, well, people don't live like that anymore. They don't have necessarily this need for all of these formal spaces. They want to be able to use them for different things. And certainly with the pandemic, we were forward thinking then we thought, you know, because we were thinking, yeah, there's a lot of these extra spaces. And now we're finding there's sort of a pushback with our construction where people do want more carved out niches, niches within the house so they can sneak off and do a Zoom call. Right. Private. Right. 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 You don't know what's next. That's the truth, right? What's what's the next thing that people are going to want in their homes? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to know. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Which one was a house that had the ladies home journal or something all the underneath it? The last one blue we did. The, yeah. The blue spruce house. The It was the grand, grand American Foursquare. Definitely built for somebody prominent in Seattle. We did some digging and I linked the house to somebody who set up the first electrical grid in Seattle. So it had some ama- an amazing heating system. When we bought the home, we couldn't figure out this oh, yeah. hole in the basement. We came down to the basement and there was this giant hole and we- It was like a concrete pit that was, that had this, le- about a two, a two foot ledge around it. So I was like, was this like a, a, baptism, a baptism pool or it wasn't like, we're trying to figure out what the hell it was. <laughs> baptism it pool. Like, you know, 10, foot, 10 foot ceilings in there. And yeah. we had to figure out, we finally realized. I the, think neighbor, we, the neighbor, yeah, the, the neighbor. neighbor, we pulled out this old piece of metal that we didn't really, we were sort of like, oh, is this some sort of a stove or what is this? We pulled it out, we put it outside and the neighbor came over and he'd lived there for about 40 years. And he came over and he said, well, you know, that's a part of the old coal pit. You know, those stairs that you guys unearthed in the back, they roll the, there was a ramp, it was a ramp. That, where they unload the coal, dump it, shoot, it, down, into the shoot pit. it down into the pit. So it was a coal pit. Wow. So 
it, it was the mystery solved yeah. and and then we got to pass that information along because it, initially our real estate agent was like you're gonna have to do something about that weird hole in the basement that's mm. really weird yeah so we were like is it a wine room yeah. is it you know future <laughs> use and and then we had the story and that was enough we were able to tell the buyer hey this was the coal pit it's original it goes with the house yeah, yeah that's cool that's convenient to have old neighbors who, yes, who it, knew it, it, about the house, you know, so. The idea of us uh, doing three in one year and we got through them and they're all successful and we we're all very proud of it. And, you know, and then being recognized by the Seattle Times, like, wow, those homes are really significant. We want to do a whole feature story on these homes. I mean, we were like, wow, that was that was interesting. And there's there's a market for that. And it led us to this place where as 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 we kind of navigate new construction and sustainability that we do want to commit to preserving and saving these old homes that normally would be knocked down and, mm -hmm. you know, multi-units be put up where it's like there, there's bits and pieces where, like, you know, we're going to do one a year or one every couple of years. And, and have a model for it because we get called all the time. Hey, will you, you know, will you help us renovate our house and give us some ideas and thoughts. And that's a whole different business model. And we're, we've considered kind of having a separate division, kind of focused on that. And we're not ready to do that right now because it's, it would be such a shift from what we we currently do. But um, our new our one model would be is to try to get these old homes to be net zero. And if we could kind of figure out a way to renovate and restore these old homes like we have done, but then add the component of, you know, make them really, really super efficient, make the energy consumption really low, and then you can add solar panels to them to get them to net zero. I think a lot of people would love to have a super high performance, you know, 120 year old Victorian. Yeah, I, I agree. Huge market, huge market for that. So we're we're putting our toe in the water over there to see if that's going to be a viable option for us. So in order to get a net zero house on an existing, like a Victorian, would you? You pretty much would need to gut that. Yes. Would you say that would be? You'd, a have, to get, you'd have to get it down to the, you have to get it down to the studs, expose all the exterior walls. You'd have to air seal it, and air sealing is is the most important thing that we do because uh, we, we attack the air sealing in two ways. One from the exterior of the home before we site it, we put a fluid applied membrane on the home. So it, it basically makes, it's a permeable product, but it makes the home waterproof and airtight from the outside. But for a renovation, there's a product called Aero Barrier, which is a, a newer product that came onto the market about a year and a half to two years ago. And it's won all these awards. And it was based off of the concept of duct sealing. And it was called Aero Seal. And these guys came up with this idea is like all these leaky ducts in people's houses are just shooting air into these dead spaces and it's really inefficient. So they, they, they pressurized the ducts and they would airborne these little beads of, of caulk and they'd fly around the air and they just would build up on all the areas where every hole, every little hole. Wow. Little, little cranny. So it'd seal all these ducts and it would make your existing duct work instead of tearing everything out and redoing it. It really was an efficient product. And one of the people who worked on this said, if you can do it for ducks, why couldn't you do it for a house? And then they created a new company called Aero Barrier, which um, reached out to us about two years ago and asked if they could come out from Ohio. I believe they're based out of where their manufacturing is done. And, and uh, they read something about us and said, I said, yeah, come on out. And we did a couple of our homes that were in construction. And the idea is right before you, you add the insulation, everything's roughed in. You're about ready to cover everything up. You come in, you put up these little tripods that are, connected to this to this uh, fluid caulk on the inside and the house is totally pressurized and there's little beads of caulk go flying around the air and they just land everywhere that need that air is being out of the house where someone just that's amazing and they, build, and they build up and they build up and they build up until that leak is gone wow. and you sit outside on the computer and you're watching the air exchanges come down and how we measure efficiency in a house is 
called uh, air exchanges, ACH. And so you got to pressurize a house to what we call 50 Pascal. And it, and it shows you how many times an hour the house will leak. And code in the city of Seattle is five air exchanges per hour. Okay. Mm. And mm-hmm. what that means is five air exchanges is really efficient compared to old, from an older home standpoint, but it's about the size of the front door being left over open year round, 24 seven throughout the house, all the nooks and crannies of a front door. Wow. An air exchange of, of two is about the size of about a, maybe about an eight by eight, uh, eight by eight inch square. Okay. That's so it's dramatically different. All our homes we get to, we get to one, 1.2 down to even below that, you know, getting to zero is the key because then you're, then you're really, really, really efficient with, with, with the heat loss. So AeroBario is a fantastic product for renovation that you can hit from the inside. So when you're talking about getting an existing home to net zero, you gut everything out, you get all your rough end done, your new plumbing, your new electrical, your new HVAC, everything's in. And insulation. And then not insulation yet, before insulation, never. And then you do the aero, aero barrier on the inside of the house and that seals that house up really, really well. Wow. And and that, yeah, so that's a fabulous product. And, for so you keep the siding on through yeah. that? Yeah. All from the inside. It's all from the inside. That's amazing. It's yeah. a game changer. I mean, they're going to, they're introducing it out here and it's going to be, a, there, there are all these code changes for us in the city of Seattle and it's going to be required for new construction. Well, they, 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 the national energy code changes every, you know, the energy code changes every two, every two years. So it, once that updates, you know, it's going to be, requ- it, people aren't going to be able to get permits for new construction without making these energy credits happen. And this is going to be the, the one product, like Gabby said, it's the game changer. They, they've won national like Einstein award product of the year in the housing industry. So it's going to be the only way for new construction to get to net zero. Like California requires all new construction to be net zero. Uh, you know, Washington, we're probably about two years behind that. And it, it, pretty soon everybody, all new construction, commercial, and um, residential is going to be required to be net zero. And this will be the way to get there. This, because you would need to make that house tight as possible. Well, and all these elements can be applied to an existing home. Hmm. They may not have the same sum total, you know, net result, but it'll be, you know, you make a difference. How did you get into the sustainable building? Anthony, you were a contractor? Yeah, First. I was I was in business with with my family in a design build firm um, that I left in 2005, and um, because I I wanted to go into into a sustainable pathway, and I wanted to shift into more of a modern aesthetic because there wasn't much modern new construction going on in the city of Seattle back then, so I kind of left to kind of create my own pathway, and I started dual development, and. And thank God I did, because, you know, the fact that we went sustainable and went modern was a thing that, that, you know, my company grew by like 300% during the downturn when everybody else was going out of business and the real estate market crashed. Mm-hmm. We were sitting there with homes that we were pre-selling in foundation because the buyers that were out there wanted more. And the fact that we can deliver them a product that was really, really interesting architecturally, because it really starts having an interesting architectural element for people to get out of their car. They go, that's a cool house. I want to go check that out. But then look at all these things that homes does with, with the efficient windows and the insulation and the heating and cooling system. And then the design all has to come together. And so uh, we, when we went down that path, um, we decided to get way out in front of the marketplace. So when the, when the real estate market does come back, and it did, we would be way out in front with pushing the envelope on net zero and passive house and building these really super high performance homes. Cause we said, if we can show everybody how to do it, then the market will follow. And we want everybody to build homes like this. 
And, um, and it doesn't have to be cost prohibitive. I think that's the thing is that most people think it's too expensive. Yeah. And they just don't want to do it. I think that's why a lot of people don't do it is ultimately the cost. Right. Because if it's the same cost, why not do it? I mean, right. it's... And, then, and, and for us, it's, it's, it costs us more, but we're always, that's part of the challenge is coming up with ways that we can do it for the same price because there are ways to do it. You just have to continue to innovate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, cause we, when we put a house in the market, we, the, the market tells us what it's worth, right? We can't say this home is so much better. It has X, Y, and Z behind the walls and this, all this. And people have to A, be willing and understand it and be, be, be willing to pay for it, right? So one example that I like to share is that we build a sustainable micro community here in, in the Columbia City neighborhood of Seattle. It's, it was 54 units, of, 54 units that we built over a five-year period. And one home we built was one of the first ones we built. It was, you know, it was three bedrooms, two baths, 1,500 square feet. It was zero days on the market. And back then we sold that house for $400,000, which was a great home. It was a great start. It was an age in place style home where, you know, you didn't need to have a a stair access. It had everything on one main living floor, which is really, really nice. Um, Another builder in the same community, there's only two of us in there, built a three bedroom, two bath home, 1500 square foot. It was a, it was a beautiful home by a very reputable builder. It was on the market for 175 days and sold for a hundred thousand dollars less. Wow. So we were like, well, wait a minute, you know, you know, the design's working, uh, you know, the, the sustainability people want it and they're willing to pay for it. We didn't, we didn't tell the market our home was worth that much more. Someone was willing to pay for it before the home was even done. So it really validated what we were doing. And, and as, a, as the company grew, uh, Abby came on board, you've been almost 10 years now. Yeah. She took over all the design and, and uh, really helped push our product to a different level from an aesthetic standpoint. Um, we hit a little lull in our schedule, like I mentioned earlier, where we had a bunch of permits get caught up in the, in the, in the city of Seattle. So we decided we want to keep our guys employed. Let's do a renovation. <laughs> and we're like, and that grew to two, <laughs> then it was three yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 And each one was a little bit different from a renovation standpoint. The first one is like, let's try to do, let's try to do this and try to figure out. And, and, and we navigated the nuances. Do we keep the plaster, lath and plaster on that wall, you know, because our wiring isn't necessarily need to get there or do we gut it all down to the studs? And so we kind of had to do bits and pieces to figure out how to navigate the, the renovation. There's definitely a learning curve. Yeah. yeah. So by the third, we were really good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, that's part of why I I feel like this podcast is necessary because a lot of people aren't going to be doing more than two, let's say, in uh, renovations in their lives. So if they could learn from other people ahead of time, yeah, they'll have an easier time of it. So if you had one, if you had, let's say, the most important piece of advice for somebody who has this, let's say, an old Victorian and they're they're trying to um, add on to it and make it more efficient or more sustainable, what would you have one piece? Wow. Okay. Or you could five or however many pieces. <laughs> well, and yeah. I think ultimately the thing we learned by the, the third and final is that keeping plaster and lath wasn't necessarily, I love plaster and lath yet having with no insulation when we would open the walls <laughs> and then try to patch the plaster and lath, oh, yeah. that it probably, I would tell a homeowner, you probably need to scrap, if, if it's an extensive renovation, you need to scrap the plaster and lath, open the walls, get access to your knob and tube wiring, which we upgraded, mm-hmm. and give yourself a little bit more of a blank canvas rather than trying to go at it. 
you know, poking holes at things. Way more expensive. It ends up more expensive. I think we thought we were going to save money by doing it in in bits and pieces here and there and opening, make a hole here, patch a hole here. And really we discovered it's probably better just to scrap your plaster and lap, open your walls, have access to everything, re-insulate mm-hmm. and, and then put it all back together. Yeah. And, That's... And, don't, and don't try to save that knob and tube. If you're going to be replacing your electrical panel, you know, or if you have an old fuse box, whatever, don't try to save the knob and tube because it's, it's virtually. Or blend. Yeah. Or, or it's, it's, it's virtually impossible to yeah. do that cost effectively and, and safely. Yeah. It's not knob, safe. So. The way it's non-grounded and so forth. So just getting that, getting to all your systems and mm. be able to put them in and put it back together efficiently can save so much time and so much money. And people are like, oh, I don't want to take, people think punching a hole in the wall is, oh my God, now I got to fix that. What's well, more expensive to fix the patch than it would be of taking out the whole wall and putting up a new sheet of, <laughs> of right. uh, drywall. You and, know? It, and it might not even look good in the end. No, it won't. No. Yeah. <laughs> see it, it, was, it ends up cobbled together. And that was yeah. the hard part is then marrying the two and making it look seamless was difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of information for people. So <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience and advice. Well, hopefully so, we can, we can help anybody. We love, we, we really, really, I mean, when we were in the throes, uh, we were like, wow, this is too much, but just like, you know, birthing a child, when you get done, you're like, wow, that was so easy. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah, let's let's have another it. one. Yeah. yeah. Let's do another one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and we're an open book. If you can pass this on to your listeners, if, if anybody has a question or, or, or wants to reach out to us, I mean, I'm a, I'm the chair of the Bill Quinn executive committee and, and, and doing things sustainable is really, really important to us. It's core value. So if we can help uh, a renovator anywhere in the country, make good choices uh, and that are cost effective, we're happy to share that with anybody. I have found that even if the homeowner wants to do certain things, it depends on who they get for a contractor. Right. Absolutely. Because they might get talked out of it, yeah. depending on who, you know, it is. Because it's not the same old way everybody does it. It's not, they just seem overwhelmed. Maybe they don't understand it. or So, yeah, I I may be sending people um, Absolutely. to you with questions, Absolutely. contractors. Well, because contractors don't have the best reputation either. And they, they have a self-interest of, you know, let's do this. And it's really, really expensive because the contractor then makes more money, right? They're mm-hmm. not always thinking about what's in the best interest of their client. Now, I don't want to put everybody in that same, you know, bucket. There's really, really good reputable contractors out there, but there's a lot of guys who take advantage of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just, and that's just known. So really getting, getting the right general contractor or the right subcontractors that you can manage yourself uh, is really, really, really important. Well, I've yeah. heard what we did last with doing those renovations is adapt. And I think um, often there are contractors that are set in their ways and they have one way of doing things. And we've been pivoting a lot in our business and embracing new innovations and new technologies and realizing that those can be applied to old homes as well as new homes. It's not one or the other. They, yeah. they, they can they coexist. exist. They yeah. coexist together. Yeah. How can people get in touch with you or you have social media? Well, we can be found all over social media. We're, uh, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Um, Our website is dwelldevelopment.com. So they can look us up and, and access all of our social media links from there. Yeah. And then uh, you can also email us directly through their uh, website. Um, And if you want to share with your um, listeners, our our direct email addresses, you have those. So feel free to 
you know, again, I, I'm, I'm all about raising the bar and I want people to make good sustainable decisions. So anything we can do to chip away at, you know, I, we talked about at the beginning of the conversation about climate change and, and how this earth is being impacted by what we do. I mean, if everybody can make those good choices, um, it all adds up. It really does. It does. Mm-hmm. Well, it we're does. willing to share. None of it is proprietary. We're happy to. <laughs> we're not good poker players. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not either. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. your work and for doing your work and for being here with me. All right. Thanks for having us. Well, they, thank you for the platform to be able to share what we, what we know because it's really important work and we really enjoy it. Thanks again to Anthony and Abby for joining me. And I'll put all our contact information in the show notes. And thanks to you for listening to the episode. And I've got an exciting announcement. I have been asked to join Design Network, which is a group of podcasts. You can check out the other design shows in the group at designnetwork.net. Please join my mailing list. I'm trying to put them out with every episode. The link is in the show notes. And I've still got that guidebook for green renovations that I used to mention. I'm making some changes so it's not um, downloadable on my website anymore, but it should be ready soon. So if you're interested in a copy, send me an email at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. And it has a lot of other kind of low-hanging fruit, as I like to call it, things that you can do that will help with the energy efficiency and sustainability of your renovation. So it pertains to what we were talking about today. Also, email me any suggestions for episodes or questions you might have, and I'll try to get back to you with answers. Um, You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Talking Home Renovations and on TikTok as The House Maven. And this podcast has been a production of my architecture firm, Demios Architects, where we believe architects are for everyone. Well, I should be back with another episode next week. So keep your eye out for that. And until then, take care.